I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right. This is The Big Douglas Show. Rapper Big Pooh is in the co-host seat. And our guest today is Tom Pellicero from the NFL Network. Thanks, Tom, for uh, doing this with us today. You got it, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Good, we, good. Uh, on Fridays, we always play the birthday game. We'll get started on that now. Before we do that, though, real quick, yesterday, uh, for me and my wife, 15 years of marriage. So um, good Congratulations. On her for putting up for putting up with me for that long. She deserves some sort of award or medal. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is James Franco has a birthday this week. How old do you think James Franco is? Mm. 45? I'm going like 42. James Franco's 43 this week. 43. Closest to the pin for Big Boo. <laughs> uh, Marshawn Lynch has a birthday this week. Marshawn. Oh, he's... Man, I thought I knew this. Uh, 35? I think you're right. I think he is 35. It is 35. You got to love Marshawn. Did you see the interview he did the other day with um, Fauci? Maybe only Snoop Dogg's been allowed to be more like just themselves than Marshawn. You got to love to see it. <laughs> Let's, uh, Suge Knight's got a birthday this week. How do you think Suge Knight is? Oh, Suge Knight is at least 52. I'm going to say 57. Close. 56 for Suge Knight. 56. Yeah. And we'll and we'll close out with uh Tony Romo. Tony Romo has a birthday this week. About 37. Tony Romo, I think, was the 03 NFL draft. So that'd make him about 39. 41. 41. 41. Wow. 41. And also. Uh, just to make you feel good about yourself, the movie Shrek turns 20 today. Does Shrek not make me feel 20. good about myself at all. <laughs> so, there's, so there's that. All right, uh, Tom, I mean, it's draft week coming up, so that's what we're here for. Uh, please tell me San Francisco didn't trade all those picks to go up and take Mac Jones third. I mean, is that what happened? I mean, it's it's definitely the uh, strongest possibility talking to other people uh, within the league. Uh, certainly, they've been connected with Mac Jones from the start when they traded those picks. Now, I have had multiple well-connected individuals tell me over the past couple of days, it's too soon to rule out Trey Lance from North Dakota State uh, with that pick as well. The thing with Mac Jones, as much as, you know, he doesn't look the same with his shirt off as Trey Lance or Justin Fields, he doesn't have the chiseled physique, he's not going to have great testing numbers, but he has two traits that Kyle Shanahan really values, which is uh, quick processing and accuracy. You saw both those things at Alabama a year ago. That offense is all about scheming people open, knowing where the football needs to go. Uh, those are things that that Mac Jones can do. I mean, I've had multiple people in the league tell me when they watch his tape, it's like Joe Burrow light in terms of Joe Burrow wasn't the biggest, best athlete. He didn't have the biggest arm, but he could see it. He could rip it. Uh, he was accurate with the football, obviously put up huge numbers at LSU with a bunch of good players around him, much like Mac Jones put up big numbers last year with really good players around him at Alabama. I'm not saying it's the same guy, but they do have some of the same traits. And when you know, 
what Kyle Shanahan values uh, from a quarterback perspective. It does make sense, even though objectively speaking, Mac Jones does not have as high of a ceiling athletically as Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Tom, I'm interested to know what's what's really going on with uh, uh, Fields with Justin Fields. Is 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 it teams a team that really likes him, so they're putting out these you know these stories, or will teams regret that they passed up on on Fields? you know, two, three years from now. I mean, it's definitely possible that people will regret uh, passing up on Justin Fields. I don't believe, and based on all my conversations with, um, you know, probably most teams in the NFL, I, I don't believe that there's an agenda at play here. You just have some things that really trace with Justin Fields back to how it ended for him at Georgia. You know, he goes there as a, a five-star recruit, uh, thinks he's going to walk in and get the job. Instead, Georgia stuck with, the much less talented Jake Fromm and, you know, Fields chose to leave. He transferred to Ohio state, obviously had two monster seasons at Ohio state, but that definitely raised just some flags to, especially the scouts who've been tracking this from the start, just questioning, you know, when he hits adversity, you know, how is he going to react? Because in the NFL, you can't just decide I'm going to transfer and go someplace else. If things don't go my way. Now, having said that coaches really like Justin Fields coaches like him more than scouts do because when they put on the tape with Justin Fields, they see all the traits that he does bring to the table physically. I mean, he's got a big arm. He is accurate down the field. He obviously, you know, athletically he can run, he can challenge you with his feet, with his, you know, things that Mac Jones is not going to be able to do, uh, you know, from a leadership perspective, that was another question on Justin Fields because in 2019, the word out of Ohio state was he came in, this was focused on winning the job really didn't, um, you know, try to get to know his teammates, wasn't necessarily relatable, but that kind of flipped around in 2020. I mean, he was out there, started the petition, took on a leadership role in terms of, you know, pushing the Big Ten to reinstate uh, fall football. So that's definitely something uh, that comes up that, that people like. Um, you know, we also reported something uh, earlier this week that teams became aware that Justin Fields manages epilepsy. It's not something that has impacted him uh, during his NFL career. He takes medication for it as long as he takes his medication. He's not had uh, any issues and, you know, there's had other member, members of his family who have had epilepsy and they've kind of outgrown it uh, as they've gotten older. Uh, but every team, you know, physician is going to just have to go, okay, know what the plan is, know what the medication is. Know if you were to have a concussion, if you were to play at altitude, if you were to get dehydrated, how would you deal with that? Uh, you know, all of which is to say, there's a lot of things to like about uh, Justin Fields. It would be one thing if the people at Ohio state, we're telling NFL teams, hey, be wary of this guy. No, Ryan Day and those guys stand on the table for Justin Fields and say, if you want one guy leading your team on Sunday, it's this guy. And again, coaches really like the guy. It's some of those things really going back three years ago to Georgia that just have stuck with scouts in terms of the overall picture with Justin Fields. I would still believe, based on everything that I know, uh, that he's gone in the first half of the first round, regardless uh, of what happens in those first few picks. It's interesting, Tom, that you bring that up because I've asked that question before. Anybody that follows this show knows I'm a Georgia homer. And um, do you think his stock remains higher? Because, I mean, it was it was him and Lawrence since they were juniors in high school that were supposed to be one and two in the draft, right? If he stays at Georgia and puts up the same numbers and has the same success, are we still having this conversation about where he goes? Or is he the number two pick in the draft? Because, you know, I appreciate Wilson, but I'm just stunned that it's like a no-brainer that he's the second-best quarterback in his class. 
It's a really good question. It's one of those, you know, hypotheticals that you can't uh, really answer. You know, it's, and, and listen, Jake Fromm is, you know, he's a guy who athletically is, you know, almost below the line for what NFL teams are willing to draft. I think he went in the fifth round last year to Buffalo. Uh, Justin Fields had worked at, you know, camps with Jake Fromm. He knew who he was competing against. He knows I'm more talented than this guy. The coaches go with the guy who just simply, he knew the offense. He'd been in it for several years. You know, they knew that they could trust him. They thought that gave him uh, the best chance to win. Yeah. I mean, if he stays there, who knows how things play out, but I also think it, it would be hard for Justin Fields to do more than he did at uh-huh. Ohio state. I mean, I think his record was 20 and two in two seasons as the starter bonkers numbers. He beats Trevor Lawrence uh, in a college football playoff game last year. It's one of those. I, I certainly understand when people look at it and go, what more can Justin Fields uh, possibly do? You know, but the reality of it is teams are always when, you know, people are scouting, they're looking for what are the traits they're going to translate to the NFL athletically, the arm, all those things add up with Justin Fields, but he comes from an offense where historically the coaching staff really limits what the quarterback has to read because they just want those guys to play fast. That's not to say that Justin Fields doesn't have the aptitude to do it. And in fact, I've spoken to some coaches who spent time on Zoom because you can't do in-person meetings this year. I've spent time with on Zoom with Justin Fields who have told me, you know, do you see it on tape? Not really, but do I think he can do it? Yes. Based on my conversations, yes. And again, the people at Ohio State vouch for him on that front too. It's just you're making some kind of a bet with all these guys. Uh, you know, Justin Fields is certainly one of them. And somebody sooner than later in this draft is going to make a bet on Trey Lance that it's fair to say is a much bigger bet because you don't have some of the leadership questions with Trey Lance. You do have some of the processing questions, but he plays in a more pro-style offense in North Dakota State. The difference there is he's played 17 games and probably the best team that he ever faced was James Madison. I mean, this is not you're going up against NFL players on a week-in, week-out basis. That's that's one of the things that's challenging every year for NFL teams. It's kind of the fun thing to, to get to the bottom of things because I think sometimes we default to the easy answers of, you know, work ethic and things that came with Justin Fields. It's not a work ethic issue. It's a, you watch the tape, you're looking for certain things. He checks all these boxes. There's other boxes he doesn't check, and you got to figure out when he gets to the NFL, can he do those things? Tom, I'm interested. I was before we got on, I was perusing online, and as I always do, and I saw a nifty little rumor out there um, about Green Bay and Jordan Love. Uh, this the uh, the photo of somebody left their folder uh, on a desk. No, no, no. This is the one where Jordan Love is is rumored to be on the move a la um jimmy garoppolo style uh i'm i'm interested have you heard any rumblings about because about a week two weeks ago it was aaron Rodgers might not be long for green bay now i'm seeing rumors of jordan love possibly is on the move out of green bay have you heard any any of these rumblings i would always say this anything is possible if especially if teams that need a quarterback swing and miss at the quarterbacks that they may have been targeting in the draft, the challenging thing for the Packers to trade Jordan love is they traded up in the first round to get him a year ago. Are you going to get it, have a team 
that's willing to give you a first round pick to at least make you even. And remember everything they went through with the Jordan Love pick, the criticism, all the questions that raised with Aaron Rodgers. If after one year of that, unless, and listen, we don't get to see practice during the regular season. We didn't even see preseason because there wasn't one a year ago. We got no tape in the NFL on Jordan Love, but unless it was just a disaster in practice, it's hard to imagine that you're going to pull the ripcord in one year. Having said that, Aaron Rodgers was the NFL MVP a year ago. You know, he's playing at a really high level. There's been a lot made of Aaron Rodgers' contract. Uh, bottom line there is the Packers are open to doing a new deal with him, even if it comes during the regular season. They want to redo Devontae Adams' contract as well. But they've got Rodgers under contract for another three years. Historically, they have not jumped out ahead of the curve to extend players with that much time remain on their contracts. If they wanted to, you know, there was something out there about, you know, it's, it's holding up them from making free agent moves. There's automatic conversion language in Aaron Rodgers' contract. They could have done that without asking them and created cap space. They didn't do it. They didn't feel like they needed, uh, you know, to take that step. But, you know, I don't think that that bears on Jordan Love, especially when you remember the general manager of the Green Bay Packers is Brian Gutekunst. He trained under Ted Thompson, who trained under Ron Wolf. And one of Ron Wolf's tenets was always you draft a quarterback every year. You always have someone in the hopper. And that's why when you look through the years at, you know, Mark Brunel or Kurt Warner or some of the other quarterbacks, uh, Matt Hasselbeck, who came through Green Bay, they always had someone there. You don't always take them in the first round. And that's what changes the dynamic. Uh, but, you know, it makes perfect sense for them to continue to develop a player that honestly, going back to my notes from, um, you know, GMs and scouts and coaches a year ago, everyone said, Jordan Love is going to be best served if he sits for a year or two, and that's exactly what's happening so far in Green Bay. It feels like from the outside looking in, who uh, and I have been following the Washington football team for too long, uh, it feels different this year as far as what's coming out of the front office. Like It felt like there were lots of leaks with the previous administration. It, it, is that how it feels nationally to people that actually get to talk to the movers and shakers? I don't know about the leaks. That's tough to evaluate since, you know, my business is kind of built on leaks of some kind. I mean, I think that the uh, some of the nonsense that went on under previous regimes has definitely settled down. And, and that's about, you know, the people that you have in the building. You have Ron Rivera, who really is. I mean, that's the man. That's the guy other than Dan Snyder, who's really in charge of everything in that building. You bring in Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney, two veteran executives. You bring in Jason Wright who's a you know, really sharp guy and is, you know, obviously understands public dynamics, the, the public facing stuff, which is where Washington just, you know, has kind of stepped in things, I think, uh, through the years, you know, all those things together. And they've got good people on the, on the public relations side too. You know, they've, they've got a better group in place and just, yeah, I think it's a matter of settling down some of the nonsense. It's not just, you know, it's stuff getting out. It's, I mean, you have lawsuits, you know, that have, have played out on a variety of different fronts. You have the minority owners bailing. Obviously, there were the issues with the cheerleaders. Um, you know, all these other things. Th those are the things that you have to clean up. I just look at what they've done. If you evaluate them really over the past year, year and a half, there's not a team that's been more diverse in their hiring, both of minorities as well as women. Uh, they've tried to get different voices uh, around that building uh, and certainly around Dan Snyder. I think that all those things help. You know, it's going to come down to 
what happens as you build this team. You know, they are really kind of doing a ground up rebuild. Obviously, they moved on from Dwayne Haskins, who had been the quarterback drafted just a couple of years ago. We'll see what they do in the draft, potentially a quarterback at some point uh, this year. You bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's a guy you can win with. He's not the long term solution, but he's a guy that I mean, he shows it every year. He can go out and find ways. Uh, to make plays. You got some building block pieces like Terry McLaurin and, and Chase Young. Uh, you've got some things in place that should give uh, fans certainly some optimism about how things play out going into coming years. Tom, I'm interested in your take on where do you see Devontae Smith going in this draft? Like with the, the section of the draft, the first round, um, you know, they people make a lot about his weight, um, but he is a Heisman winner. He did play in one of the toughest conferences in college football. Um, do you see him falling out of, you know, past 12, 13, 14, 15, or is it just, you know, one of them as again, this is near the draft. So it's a lot of talk and you don't really know what's what. That's definitely true. I will always be the first one to admit that as much information as I try to gather, there's a lot of BS that's also being slung around. And so you take everything with a grain of salt. I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae Smith went as high as seven to the Lions, you know, a team that needs a wide receiver. You would expect that Jamar Chase is going to be the first receiver off the board, but everybody's going to have, you know, a little bit different evaluations on uh, on different players. I, it would surprise me if Devontae Smith slipped out of the first half of the first round. Teams know. I mean, everybody makes a big deal of what the guy weighed in at Pro Day, what he weighed in at the Combine. Usually teams have a pretty good idea looking at a guy on tape, whether he's a big guy or not a big guy. Devontae Smith is not a huge individual, but neither is, you know, go down the list. Stephon Diggs is not a really, you know, huge guy. Robbie Anderson's not a really huge guy. Tyreek Hill's not a really uh, huge guy. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith is a, is a really highly productive player in a pro-style offense at Alabama. There's every reason to think that he's going to go and have an opportunity uh, to have success in the NFL. It's just a matter of, you know, where is your fit? It all always comes down to if you look at needs of teams in the draft. I mean, Detroit at seven, the Giants at 11 uh, would be another logical team uh, that could be in that mix. Even getting to 15 with the Patriots, even though they did some things in free agency, you know, I think any of those spots would not be a, a huge surprise to me. And if you were to slide further than that, I would I would categorize that as a surprise. Uh you were talking about seven or eight there. And I was thinking if, if Washington made a move up for quarterback and it's somewhere in that seven to 12 range, uh, how unusual or common is it for teams to trade within the division? Because I was thinking that that kind of gets you to your point at like Cowboys, Giants, Eagles are all picking in that same range. Is it unusual for teams within the division to trade that way? It's rare. It's not unprecedented for teams to, to trade within the division. The challenge really for Washington to get all the way up from 19 to where you'd probably need to be to get in, get one of these quarterbacks, unless one of them slides is it's going to cost a lot. I mean, if you're talking about going from 19 to seven, I don't have a draft value chart in front of me, but I know that's, you know, multiple, that's a first round pick and a lot more than that. So you're talking about making a significant commitment uh, to try to move up. Also, you know, outside of the top three picks, I don't know that there's a lot of teams you look at and say they're definitely going to draft a quarterback. So if you're a team, let's say it goes like most people think it's going to go. Trevor Lawrence, one to the Jags, Zach Wilson, two to the Jets, Mac Jones, three uh, to San Francisco. Do the Falcons take one at four? If not, and if they take, let's say, Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, well, you look at those next few spots. Who's going to, you know, who really is going to take a quarterback? The Bengals aren't 
at five. The Dolphins, you would not think at six. They've been fairly committed, uh, at least publicly, uh, to Tua Tunga Vailoa at this point. Detroit at seven, possible, but they they're committed to Jared Goff financially uh, for the next couple of years. Carolina's at eight. They just traded for Sam Darnold. Denver at nine. Can't rule that out. They've got a young guy that they like in Drew Locke, but are they enamored with a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields there? If, you know, the quarterbacks start to slide, okay, now if all of a sudden they get toward 10, 11, 12, now if you're Washington, you're probably looking more than anything at the Patriots sitting there at 15 and saying, okay, if we need to, if we're going to get one, we may need to get ahead of them. And so you're talking about trading with, uh, I think the Chargers are at 13, the Vikings are at 14, Vikings where the one of those 15. teams had moved, the Eagles at 12, uh, you know, Howie Roseman's always open to deal. Those are probably, although again, that's in the division, that's probably the range that you're looking at, uh, you know, trying to make a move up. But then also another dynamic with this draft that probably hasn't been discussed enough in a normal draft, there's about 20 to 22, what I would call legit first rounders guys who are going to be first rounders on everyone's board. Even if you're not going to take them, you assume they're going to go this year. It's like, I mean, Scott Fitter, the Panthers GM said today, they got 16 first round grades. There's other teams I've talked to that are at like 17, 18. In other words, the talent level drops off faster than normal in terms of those tier one, tier two types of players, which puts Washington in a tough spot at 19 because there's probably going to be a drop off. Not that you can't get a good football player who can help you, but that clear, these guys are real ones that drops off sooner than it has in past years. And that's going to mean that, you know, probably pick 17 through about 47 are just going to be pure chaos. I was going to ask you, I know, you know, the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks and we all have an idea that Mac Jones is going to be that third guy. Do you see Trey Lance possibly slipping into the teens? Because he's to me, he's the he may have the most upside, but he is the rawest prospect who will need some time. So to is there a possibility that he can unless one of them teams in the teens mortgage, you know, some future assets to get up. Can you see him slipping into the teens? It's possible. I mean, I would definitely say it's a possibility. It really just depends again, what happens up at the top. I mean, if you're the Falcons. You can make the argument. Well, if it goes Lawrence Wilson, Mac, we should take Trey Lance at four. He's not ready to play this year. Anyway, we're keeping Matt Ryan. So let's stash him for a year. We don't want to be drafted number four again. So let's get the guy now. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly that possibility because, you know, coaches in particular have real concerns about Trey Lance's accuracy. I mean, a lot of the first exposure, because, you know, especially coaches, scouts are watching these guys for years, coaches, usually, unless you happen to turn on a game on TV, you don't see any of these draft guys until January, February, March before the draft. So for a lot of the coaches, the first tape that they saw was that central Arkansas show showcase game last fall the only game the North Dakota state played because COVID bumped back their conference schedule to the spring. Trey Lance didn't have a good game. It was probably the worst game he'd played. I think he was 15 of 30 passing. He was inaccurate. He missed throws second half, just kind of used his legs, ran around, uh, made some things happen. They won the game, but you know, I had one, uh, one quarterbacks coach who said to me, I, I watched that tape and I thought this is the guy they're talking about. That's the thing that stuck with coaches is just accuracy is a tough thing to teach. Now guys like Josh Allen going from Wyoming to Buffalo to his credit and to the coaching staff of the bills credit, he has become more accurate. He's a better passer now, uh, but there, it certainly can be, uh, you know, can be difficult on that. Plus the level of competition he was going against the fact that North Dakota state is 
better than everyone. They're schemed better than everyone. They're more talented than, than everyone. He's thrown to a lot of wide open dudes. You know, maybe the craziest stat on, on Trey Lance is he had only 17 career starts in college, but you know how many times he threw more than 23 passes in a game twice. This is just, they ran the ball and then occasionally pull it and it's play action. I mean, that that's wow. their offense. So all that worries you where somebody's going to bet on Trey Lance. And I would bet that he does come off the board before you get to the late teens is the person. It's the character, the leadership, the intelligence, the want to the football IQ, all those things are off the charts with Trey Lance. And that's, that's what it's going to come down to. You're, you're not so much betting on the tape because there's the things you need to see. You're not on that tape. You were betting on the guy, the fact that he's a, you know, a big guy, the pretty big arm, good athletic ability and all the intangibles. And you just got to hope this guy is going to be committed to maximize his ceiling. And we're going to be able to get him there, even though he's probably not going to be a guy you want on the field in 2021. And what about bond? Did I see, I thought, I thought maybe it was you uh, that had said that there, there's, there's scuttlebutt that he'll pop back into the bottom half of the first round. So I'm going to trade back up. You think that's a, a likelihood? It's a long shot possibility uh, with okay. Kellen Mond, but like it wouldn't shock me based on the, the number of people who brought that up unprompted. I didn't hear that about, there's really three quarterbacks who are day two guys. It's Kyle Trask from Florida, Davis Mills uh, from Stanford, uh, and then Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. Mond was the only one where people brought up the idea, hey, maybe somebody even, you know, with that fifth year option, you trade up into the first, maybe somebody does it for him. You know, Mond is another guy who he's really smart, comes from a pro style offense. Uh, you know that he knows the game. He's got, you know, a big enough arm. He's got good athletic ability. It checks all those boxes. The issue with him is just everybody refers to him as stiff and robotic. You know, he just, he doesn't look really fluid, which is unusual uh, for a guy who is as good of an athlete as Kellen Mond is. But, you know, you go back through the history, whether you're talking about Jameis Winston or Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel, all those Jimbo Fisher quarterbacks. He's called it the Jimbo Fisher equation. Yeah, right? they're all, they all, he teaches stiff elbows in the pocket. So, you know, it just, he teaches kind of this stiff way of playing, but they all perform well. They all do know the game. And he asks a lot for them to, uh, to run that offense. So the bet on Mond would be somebody goes, okay, this guy can do everything. We can coach that stuff out of, out of him, you know, because he is a good enough athlete. We can, we can teach him to adjust things mechanically here because everything else, uh, you know, looks pretty good on him. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys was the first one off the board on day two, between Mond, Trask, and Mills Mon just seems like the one who's the cleanest and maybe, you know, arguably has uh, the most upside of that group too. We've been talking about quarterbacks. We've talked about some pass catchers. We know there's a few offensive linemen that's definitely going to go high in the draft. When does the first defender come off the board this year? I mean, that's, that's a, hold on one second. Dallas got to hydrate guys. This is draft talk. This this takes a lot out of me. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is, that's one of the things that's also unique about this draft. I talked about how, you know, the cutoff is 16, 17, 18 real ones, but you can make the case that only about four of those guys are defensive players, maybe five. You got the two corners in JC Horn uh, and Patrick Sertan. I would not be surprised if both those guys are off the board in the top 10. Um, you know, Sertan just seems like a, a natural fit for what Dallas does. Uh, and so if somebody else wants to get him, you might have to trade up ahead of the Cowboys and JC Horn, probably, you know, I would think the floor for him is probably 12. They'll both go pretty good. Then it's, it's a matter of, you know, where does Quiddy pay go? 
for Michigan, uh, you know, defensive end, he could go as high as 11 to the Giants. That wouldn't shock me. Jalen Phillips uh, should come off the board relatively early, too. There's some stuff that people have to dig in, but the people at Miami vouch for him. Uh, and he's obviously just a freak athlete, had an amazing uh, type of a pro day. And then Micah Parsons is another interesting one from Penn State, just because, you know, there's a lot of things you have to dig into with just kind of the football character with him. Uh, but another guy who's a really good athlete, the tape's not consistent, but another one's a good athlete. Those are the five guys that I would say safely going round one, but that's crazy. Five defensive guys out of the 32 picks that I could safely say on defense uh, are going to go. Um, it, that's going to, you know, that's going to be a really unique aspect of this. I would expect a couple other edge rushers get pushed up. A couple other corners get pushed up. I don't know that any safeties end up getting drafted. I don't know that any defensive tackles end up getting drafted. So yeah, the, the defensive players will start coming off. I believe in the top 10 to 12 picks, at least a couple of them, but in the top 20, if you told me at the end of this, there were only three, four or five defensive players in the top 20, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Tom, I'm curious, does, does covering the league so closely, does it jade your perspective on enjoying the games? Do you still get to enjoy the sport that you cover so closely? It's a really good question. Um, you know, you lose the fandom instantly, and I've been doing this for close to 20 years now, so you that, that part goes away really fast. Uh, you know, the, in terms of the enjoyment, it's kind of unique because – you know, I think that fans, you know, for them, the three hours on Sunday, like the game is, is obviously the biggest thing. You might read about your favorite team, you know, check Twitter, get your team alerts, whatever on your phone, hopefully from the NFL app. Uh, but, you know, you're not as engaged as you are three hours on Sunday. For those of us in the industry, and I've talked to people who cover other sports, too, it's the same thing. Games are where you get a break. <laughs> Games are where you're kind of like, oh, OK, all right, you know, settle down because. You know, for us at NFL Network, and obviously I have kind of a diverse role, but you're doing so much news all the time. And then you get to, you know, you finally get through Sunday mornings. I'm usually at a game, so I'm on the field. Or this past year, I'm in the stands doing live hits. You race up to the press box three minutes before you hoon down a hamburger as fast as you can. You sit in your seat. And it's just like, okay, what did I miss? Like, and I started, I'll start going through and just seeing like, what news stories this morning did I miss? Because you're, you're just underwater. Uh, I still love, you know, if I'm like on a Thursday night or a Monday night when I'm like back home and I can have a beer and watch. And my wife will always say to me, like, why do you want to watch? This is all you do. I'm like, no, but because this, this is still the fun part. Like, I just want to like <laughs> I want to turn my brain off and not be going. That guy's do a contract extension. He's playing on a high ankle sprain. That coach did this last week. What's he going to adjust this week? What controversy are we going to have? Like all that stuff happens then. And then somebody gets hurt and you're just like well, crap, now I'm going to be, you know, dealing with this. You feel bad for the player, but you're also like, all right, I got to start calling people about this. Uh, but actually sitting down and watching the game, yeah, I still enjoy it. It's just that is that is absolutely the sigh of relief and like the part that you hope to get to. And then, you know, three o'clock, you do one post-game interview. You get in your rental car. You floor it to the airport under the speed limit, of course. You get on the airplane. Uh, you know, you have one beer, you get home, you're, you know, you're half groggy, Sunday night football's on, then you go right back to the news on Monday morning. That's kind of the endless cycle. Uh, draft is a little bit different. It's another push here, but May to July, that's really the, that's really the sweet spot for those of us who cover the league. You got OTAs and mini camps and holdouts and contracts and all that, but that's a pretty good time of year. I was going to ask you, what is, what is your typical draft weekend was draft starts on Thursday now, it's the weekend. What is your typical draft weekend like? Like, you know, we see obviously when the draft is going on, 
you're honed in, but what is your typical draft weekend process like? Well, the past several years I've been, uh, or at least 27 to 2019, I was with a team. I think I was actually with the Dolphins every year, which there are worse places to go than South Florida, though. It gets a little sticky uh, down there this year. Normally, I'd be flying around, you know, somewhere in the first round, somewhere in the second round, somewhere on day three, interview the players as they show up. Uh, last year was obviously different because of COVID. This year is going to be different, too. You know, I'll be on uh, Good Morning Football every morning through the course of the week, starting on Monday all the way through Saturday. So doing news, um, you know, in terms of the actual draft, I'll be watching it like everyone else. And I'll be, you know, texting people with teams and asking about picks and asking what's going on in trades and and all that type of stuff. But you know, to a degree, you, you do kind of become a, at least in my position, a uh, consumer. We'll have people on site. Ian Rappaport will be doing live, live hits during the broadcast. But for me, you know, I'm just trying to like figure out, you know, where the pieces go. I'm going down my mock draft or my list of the first round, figuring out how much I got right. And then, you know, figuring out what the storylines are going to be, especially when people slide and why are they sliding and who's going to stop the slide? You know, I, I'm kind of watching it like everyone else. I'm just have a little bit more active role. Well, what is your best guess a week and a day out for what you think Washington will do at 19? It's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of different, you can make a lot of arguments. I mean, if a quarterback falls in their lap, you know, I I think that there's uh, certainly a possibility uh, that it could be that. Uh, The linebacker from Notre Dame, Awusu Korakoa, would be one name. Um, that I think would be a natural fit. They need linebacker help. He's kind of a lighter linebacker. He can really run, didn't run a 40 at his pro day, uh, but a guy who can move, that would be one name uh, that would jump out just, uh, you know, kind of off the top of my head. Uh, And then, you know, obviously you still could continue to add uh, weapons offensively. I know that they've been doing that, but, you know, if they draft, if they felt like there was value on another receiver, 19 might be a little bit rich in terms of that next group uh, of wide receivers, but even that, you know, wouldn't entirely shock me, you know, running back wise, Antonio Gibson's, you know, probably the guy, I wouldn't think that they would go that direction, but that's about where the running backs potentially uh, might begin to go. You can never have enough offensive linemen either. So a lot of opportunities. I mean, that's, that's kind of the good and the bad of uh, when you're in year two of kind of building the thing and you have a new GM this year is you have a lot of spots to fill, but at least that means there's a good chance that uh, the best player available is going to match up with one of your needs on draft day. Tom, we thank you for joining us. We don't want to take up too much of your time. We know you have a lot of things to do with draft week coming up. Just let the people know where they can find you. We obviously know what you have coming up next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's uh, on Twitter at Tom Pelissero. That's probably the best uh, the best spot to find me. Obviously, I'm on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and God knows what else they signed me up for. But uh, tw- Twitter is kind of the clearinghouse. Any- everything else, if I updated, it's because I've uh, I realized I haven't done anything in a week. So and on NFL Network all next week, starting Monday. So it'll be 7 a.m. to uh, it's actually an extended show, four hours. So 7 a.m. I think to 11 a.m. Eastern live uh, surrounding the draft starting on Monday. I'll be on that show uh, throughout the week. It should be fun. Thank you. Uh, once Tom, again. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Have a good one. You too. See ya. Thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. You got it. Yep.